All right. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the Deer Vein Podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Heller. Today, we have Project Whitetail on the line. Um, a few guys from the Midwest working to grow big bucks, kill big bucks. And we're going to be talking to them uh, today about what they got going on this summer, or at least the plan. I always, uh, always kind of have a plan going into this. And then we go down some rabbit hole and it's two hours later. And all of a sudden, we haven't even covered what the plan was in the beginning which is totally fine, you know, wherever the conversation takes us. But the plan, the idea today is talk about kind of what are, what, uh, what the fall objectives are and then working backwards from that into what we're doing in July and August and September, uh, maybe even October to make that happen. So that, that's the idea today. Um, before we get rolling, just want to really thank uh, Vector Custom Shop. They got the new ZMRs out and the new HMRs out as well. So new arrows, if you guys are interested in getting new arrows this year, uh, definitely take a look at them. They have some, uh, some awesome arrow setups. You punch in your, your draw weight, your draw length, um, what you're hunting, maybe one or two other things, and then they will spit out an arrow. Um, it's got a like calculator in it that spits out an arrow, tells you like what you should be shooting for your bow. Um, so that you don't kind of take some of the tuning guesswork out of it. So check those guys out. Again, it's Vector Custom Shop. Also working with Venado, a uh, great whitetail uh, like clothing line. Um, they're big whitetail hunters, but uh, they create just kind of like a lifestyle apparel brand. Those guys are really fun. Check out some of their stuff. Great birthday gifts, Father's Day gifts, Christmas gifts, all that fun stuff. And then last but not least, Onyx Maps. Uh, if you don't know Onyx, uh, great mapping app. They have uh, GPS, waypoints, tracking, uh, public private land boundaries that work on and offline, which is the major reason I picked them up. So if you're interested in, in that kind of stuff, hunting public land, private land, want to know the boundaries are and, or who landowners are check out Onyx maps. All right. So with that, we will jump into the, the pro podcast with uh, project whitetail. And I guess there's three guys on the line. We got Ian, Trevor and Brucey, Cameron, Bruce, Brucey. Um, so yeah, Ian. Um, Ian, I, Ian's the guy I've been talking to through through Instagram. So, uh, I always like to want to say what's up, but the answer is always not much, man. On the podcast, <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah, right. No, so, that is true. <laughs> yeah. So tell me, tell me uh, about like Project Whitetail, what the idea is, and and kind of introduce yourself. I guess introduce yourself. Then we'll roll through Trevor and Brucey, and then uh, and then we can talk about what uh, Project Whitetail is. Yeah, for sure. Um, I'm Ian, so I'm from La Crosse, Wisconsin. I have a nine to five job in construction, so pretty exciting, but uh, like to do this on, on my side time. Um, started it, oh, let's see, January of 22 this year, actually. So just getting started, um, kind of rolled out some apparel right away and a website and been posting hunting and scouting and all sorts of content like that ever since uh, our Instagram Instagram went live. Um, so just kind of getting started, but uh, we've grown quite a bit just in the first few months here and excited to see what lies ahead. But uh, I guess just as a general overview on Project Whitetail, because I'm sure a lot of people listening right now are kind of wondering, well, what the heck does Project Whitetail mean, you know? Um, I'd say the best way to describe it is um, just a hunting brand that encapsulates 
the whole project of a hunting season. So everything from scouting, you know, putting up trail cams, putting up tree stands, um, the actual hunting season itself, the off season, um, e-scouting, everything. We try to, you know, encapsulate the whole season and uh, show that on our on our social media with all sorts of hunting content. So that's kind of what we're about. Um, we've got a apparel brand with several different collections, uh, whitetail collection, elk collection, and then kind of our logo logo wear with our PW logo, we call it, um, just our main logo. But uh, yeah, I guess that's kind of Project Whitetail in a nutshell. Awesome. Yeah, so I got I got a couple questions for you, but let's roll to Trevor quick. Trevor and Brucey, just get those intros. Yeah, I'm from St. Cloud, Minnesota. Uh, I started bow hunting when I was 10 years old, uh, so this will be my 13th season bow hunting. So excited for that. I hunt North Dakota, Minnesota, and Iowa for the most part. But yeah, I love spending time at the family farm, planting food plots, trying to develop strategies to kill specific deer. And that's kind of what fuels my passion is figuring out one deer and trying to put that one down. Awesome. Yeah. And that was Trevor and then Cam, Brucey. Yeah. So, Hey guys, uh, my name is Cameron Bruce. Um, yeah. People refer to me as Brucey. Um, but uh, yeah, so I met Trevor and I in college. We all went to uh, UMD, uh, University of Minnesota Duluth. Um, <clears throat> and from there, Basically, you know, just met each other, um, doing hunting, fishing. Uh, we're in the Ron Gun Club up at UMD. That's kind of where we all met, and um, from there, just grew a good friendship. And um, yeah, I uh, I'm from Zimmerman, Minnesota, which is about a half an hour north of the Twin Cities, and uh, currently living up by Ely, Minnesota, up in far north Minnesota. Um, and yeah, I love uh, whitetail hunting. Uh, bow hunting is definitely a huge passion of mine. That's something I'm always striving to get better at. Um, so, and uh, yeah, we, we just started getting into kind of some out-of-state hunts as well. Um, 2019 was first time I uh, went out-of-state. We went to South Dakota. So uh, kind of learning more about that and trying to do... Um, many hunts as possible during the fall but uh yeah like uh like ian said project whitetail just started up here this year and um it's kind of working to grow it and um yeah it's a pretty fun process so awesome yeah you feel like when i ask you that question that you're filling out like a uh a form for hunters only.com or something <laughs> yeah <laughs> a little bit <laughs> <laughs> yeah no, I, I, I hear you. Um, all right. So Ian, my apologies. I thought it was Ian. My oh, bad. No I'm sure you get I that. get it all the time. All the, no yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I am my bad there, but, um, okay. So yeah, I guess, you know, having, having all you guys from all over kind of, you know, I and you're in Wisconsin, uh, Trevor, you're in Minnesota and then, and then uh, Brucey, you're in Northern Minnesota. So it's like a lot of difference going on i mean i guess i wouldn't consider saint cloud similar to, i mean it's close but not really ely <laughs> not even close actually no. 
So totally yeah, totally. Yeah. A lot different. Ely, I don't, how, I don't even know how you get cell phone reception there. Like, <laughs> really? <laughs> right. Um, so it's, I mean, major, major differences in the landscape and geography that you guys are haunting the amount of pressure, the amount uh, of what you guys are up to and doing. So I think, I mean, that brings a really unique perspective to everything. Cause a lot of times, you know, people like groups of friends that start these hunting, uh, you know, hunting groups and, and, um, what do I want to say? Like, like brands or medias, uh, media platforms, they're usually all like localized to one area, right? They're buddies that grew up in high school together, have been together forever. And they're like, Hey, let's start doing this thing. So I think it's really cool that you guys are, are so spread out. Um, and even though you're similar, similar States and everything, you are still like, it's a different terrain, big woods, um, farm, private farms, um, for, for you, Ian and, and you, Trevor as well. Is that your main, Ian, is that your main like spot is, is a family farm? Yeah, I would say that's the majority of my whitetail hunting. I have started to branch out a little bit into some Minnesota public land, but, uh, I mean, I grew up hunting on our family farm in Wisconsin and it's kind of all that I knew until I met these guys in college and we started to hunt public land out west and up in Duluth so um yeah I mean for the for the most part that's all I've hunted my my whole life until the last I don't know three four years probably okay so then with that being the case um and I know Trevor you had said that as well that you've been hunting like a family farm for the last 13 years or 14 years um, what, I guess, you know, what are you guys doing in terms of, I, I imagine the, the, the big goal for everybody on this call is, is to kill a nice buck. Right. And what that is, you know, what that is to you, Ian might be totally different than what it is to Brucey, just because of the quality of deer up in Ely versus the quality of deer, you know, in, in Wisconsin. Right. Is that, I, I have to imagine that's correct. Brucey. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Yeah. Like I, yeah, I feel definitely. like <laughs> okay. I feel like Brucey's shooting for like a 120, you know, a nice eight point or a nice 10 point, and you're shooting for Ian like a 150 or 160. 150 plus is kind of my rule. Yeah. Okay. Is that same with you, yeah. Trevor? Are you in that 150s range? We're more like 140 and above. Okay. Our rule at our farm is you shoot it, you mount it. Okay. So if you're happy shooting a little or one and mounting it all for it but that's kind of how we have our management plan set up gotcha okay now nah, it's pretty cool i have a few friends who who run that um who run that same type of uh, system so then that's like a self-imposed like you know, you're spending six hundred dollars or five hundred dollars if you shoot whatever you shoot right? yeah exactly no that's fair that that makes a lot of sense um so then Okay. With that being the case, one of the things I, I have to ask, cause I haven't had a family farm. I've hunted different farms. You know, the longest I've ever hunted a piece is a piece of public by my house, which is six years. It's the longest I've ever hunted a, uh, the same piece. What are you guys, what are some big changes that you guys have, have seen over the years that have helped you improve success, like on your properties? Um, even though you've been hunting them year over year, over year, like like to somebody like me, I feel like, man, if I would have a hunting property for, for 15 years, I'd have it so dialed in. I'd only have to hunt five times and kill a giant buck every time. And I know that's just not <laughs> the case. Right. But I know there's people who, who think like that. So I'm curious as to like, you know, long-term, like what you guys have done or what you guys have seen that's really helped improve 
you know, the properties that you're hunting? Um, I would say one of the main things is just reducing pressure on our property. Um, when I first started bow hunting, um, not, not gonna lie, I really didn't know what I was doing. I went out and probably hunted a little too much. And now that I've kind of been into bow hunting a lot longer, I've learned that, you know, less is more um, when it comes to hunting mature bucks. So I think definitely just reducing reducing pressure and improving access to all my all my bow stands and then besides that just all the habitat improvements that we do year over year um, we have several food plots and been installing water holes and um, some hinge cutting and um, timber management crp plots um, all that kind of combined i think just has improved our property over the last 10 years especially gotcha trevor i'd say in the last two years i've noticed a big difference in pressure when i was in like high school and college it was like oh how many days can i sit in a tree just to like have a high number and in the last two years i've hunted the least amount in my career so far and i've killed two good bucks out of the same stand and i think that is one of the big things on our farm we also have a few family friends that can hunt so kind of keeping them out of certain areas and keeping trespassers out is one of our big things which is just all related to pressure and we've really started doing more food plots the last five years we have like three acres of food plots now in our area and there's pretty much no agriculture around us it's just pretty much big woods and swamp so I think that's been totally helping draw in bigger deer and helping stay through the winter. Because normally it's not a lot of mature bucks in like September, early October, and then during the pre-rut when the deer are moving around a lot, we get some bucks. But then when we started the food plots, it's the last two bucks I've killed, I've had those deer on camera for the last three years. Okay. So I think that's the biggest difference for us. Gotcha. Oh man, that's, yeah, I guess that would, make a lot of sense. And, and that's pretty cool that you're seeing them throughout the, the seasons, you know, every year over year and they're actually holding right. And not just passing through. Cause I feel like yeah. that's certainly um, some problems with other people's property is, you know, I have to be, I have to hunt the rut because that's the only time these deer are going to pass through the property. Right. So, and that I can, I mean, if you don't have the time to put in food plots or manage very well or anything like that, I, I can see that being very successful right yeah yeah we definitely have the bucks that just moved through but we've had like a few home bodies and those are the ones they end up killing most of the time gotcha okay how were you how were you able to like communicate or what was your communication strategy for the telling the family friends like hey don't go over here like was there any because i know i've talked to other people and and having that communication with people even especially if it's like other family members can be really, really difficult, like in terms of like maintaining the relationship as friends, but also saying, Hey, I'm trying to get serious. Stay the fuck out. <laughs> yeah. Normally, like when we started, we kind of just blocked off like a 30 acre section of the woods and saying like, only time we go in here is when we're tracking a deer. And that's where the bucks have been living that I've been killing. And we've kind of said, if you're going to do tree stand work, you do it before bow opener. And in the past, they've done it a week or two before the gun season, which is right during the pre-rut and 
just they didn't have everything set in place prior to the season. So like taking them out of the woods at that time, I think helps keep the deer around a lot more during hunting season and it's okay to do it in the summer. Yeah. Are you, are, have they found better success at all because of the less amount of pressure? Are they doing better? They see a lot more deer, but they aren't very passionate. Like if a big one runs by, they're like going to shoot it, but they don't shoot does. They just kind of go out to go hunt and just sit in a tree. <laughs> Got it. Okay. No, that's, that's fair. I feel like, um, so like I, I have to have that conversation with my, with my dad and be like, Hey dad, like, I would really appreciate it if you guys didn't have like, my dad's a, a social butterfly and I'm, and I've had conversations that say, Hey, can you not have parties like after mid August? Like, can you not like bring uh, cause whenever people come out to the property, they always have a bonfire. They always, you know, drink, they always ride four wheelers around. We have a Creek. They love to run down to the Creek, which is in the bottom, which is where a lot of the bedding is. And they push like, you know, they just drive all around. So I'm trying to, like you said, reduce that amount of pressure and, uh, and it took, and it's going to take a little bit. And I know my dad's like, yeah, yeah, we can do that. And then he's like, Hey, we're going to host the, the big family reunion for everybody on August 13th. So like, I was like, all right, well, I thought we talked about August 1st being the cutoff, but okay. You know, like, (laughs) um, so I, I mean, has anything have, was there any pushback against that at all or anything like that? No, not really. If they do get behind, we just help out with their stand, like brushing it out a little bit, but they've been pretty good about getting everything done before the season. Okay. Awesome. Is that similar to you, Ian, or are you guys like doing something different or did you never have friends coming in or? No, I would say we're very similar besides the fact that everyone everyone that hunts our property mostly just gun hunts so really it's just my dad and I that bow hunt our property and we're we're basically on the same page um I'd say mid-August we're basically out of the woods for good after we get our food plots in we leave our stands and leave the property alone for a month and we're, we're we're pretty good about it um but yeah I mean everyone else that gun hunts um we've talked with them and they know where our sanctuaries are and they know to get all their stands ready um, even well before uh, bow season. So it, it works out pretty good um, with us. We, we have a pretty good relationship with all the people that hunt on our land. So. Gotcha. Awesome. Now good, good to hear. Brucey, are you, are you hunting private land up, up North there, eh? or are you just, uh are you floating around on the public or what's going on what's going on in the north woods yeah a little bit different than ever um i grew up in zimmerman uh, my parents seven acres of land that, that my house is on um, it's all oak woods so i did quite a bit of hunting growing up um on that piece of property and for the most part as far as any management kind of small to, to do much with. Um, and for the most part, just is kind of a, a passing through area for bucks. Um, so the rut is definitely a great time to sit out there and hope that one passes through. Um, of course, there's a lot of pressure, like you guys were talking about, um, mainly just from my neighbors 
who don't hunt they'll be out there blowing leaves with their leaf blower or the kids are screaming so um kind of tough to say whether you have any action um but still great great deer hunting around that area um around zimmerman so did quite a bit of hunting growing up around there uh private land my parents own property um north of two harbors okay so uh still up in northern minnesota and uh they purchased the land in 2008 at the time uh deer population was very good and plenty of bucks um so as far as management we we attempted just uh you know clear out openings in the thick woods and trails and uh that really seemed to help the deer population um but over the years here with the high wolf population uh the amount of deer in that area has basically gone down to, to none where um now for the last couple of years we haven't even hunted it so hopefully down the road uh the deer can make a comeback but right now yeah we're kind of at a standstill uh for that area but kind of cool just side note is uh the moose population is increasing on our land so um we still put out trail cameras and get pictures of a bunch of uh, bull moose and cow moose so kind of interesting to see that at least but um Otherwise, yeah, mainly uh, just public land currently is what I've been on. Yeah. Man, that's interesting. Yeah, I, that's a whole nother topic that I'd like to cover that'd be interesting to talk about is like, because we have wolves in northern Wisconsin now and mid, mid kind of mid-Wisconsin to north, and I know Minnesota does too. And if the, the decrease in deer population makes way for moose population to come through, that's a it's an interesting topic um yeah so then what are so then you're up in ely and for anybody who doesn't know ely is like pretty much on the border of minnesota and canada um pretty close to the boundary waters what uh what do you are you just did work take you up there or what yeah um so i just got a job with the civil engineering company last year in january um and they offered a position to work on a construction site um, in Babbitt, which is just south of Ely. Um, so I moved up here last October, working on site. And yeah, I kind of had the cool opportunity to try to hunt this area, which proved very challenging. <laughs> um, definitely. But the cool thing is there's public land all over. I mean, more than enough to handle so um but very difficult i found to just even try scouting deer just with how thick it is it's tough to see sign um so that was that was tough um i did hunt last fall and i was successful and did harvest a, a nice buck it's super cool um but for the most part, I since I moved up here in October, I didn't have a whole lot of time to scout. So when I was scouting, it was mainly just looking for fresh sign, uh, rubs and scrapes. And uh, that's kind of what I set up on and had success. Yeah. Yeah, big. Uh, it sounds like you need to 
listen, do you know East meets West? East meets West. Martonic. You ever heard that name? Um, I have. Yes, uh, they have a podcast too. Yeah, right? yeah. Him yep. and him and Johnny, a guy named Johnny Stewart, uh, who Bo has on uh, often enough, hunt like kind of similar terrain to Northern Minnesota, but it's in Pennsylvania. Just huge, giant woods, thick cover, and they just key in on. It seems like kind of what you're saying, the smallest, like to, to, to Southern Minnesota, it's like very little sign, just a few rubs here and maybe a scrape there, but up North, like that's plenty to go off of. Does that sound about right? Yeah, definitely. And it seems like if you can find that fresh sign, that's pretty much where they're concentrated. Um, okay. No, it's cool. Well, yeah, it's always, I uh, agree cool to hear that you could get that you could find a buck on the first first year hunting brand new ground you know in big woods like that's pretty cool that means if you can do it anyone can do it right brucey right yeah <laughs> well i think i think there's a lot of luck on my side there but uh, yeah yeah i'm sure i'm sure there is but no that's 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 really interesting um that's cool to hear so then um back to back to like uh what we were talking about with the with the pieces of private which was you know uh i and you kind of started out a little list here is reducing pressure number one um so that was kind of keeping a lot of people off the property after august or before bow season essentially um and and hunting very little um being very selective about when you're hunting what uh what is that what does that mean? Like when you're selective, like how are you picking the days that you are hunting? Um, and what does that look like? Um, I would say mostly by the weather. I mean, I wait until, you know, there's a drop in a good drop in temperature, um, or high pressures, you know, just kind of watch the weather. And, um, I don't know, I guess it's been, it's been uh, I've learned a lot over the last couple of years by by doing that instead of just going out every weekend randomly. Um, I think my hunts have been uh, much more quality hunts, and that's um, definitely definitely showing um, compared to just going out randomly. Um, so yeah, I mean, basically that's that's it. Just watching the weather and yeah. not hunting as much. <laughs> <laughs> Is that, and is that, are you going before or after or both? Like if a cold front's rolling through on a Thursday night at 10 PM, let's just say, um, are you going Thursday night and then also Friday morning, or are you doing one or the other and, or just Friday evening? What are you, what are you doing there? Um, I would say probably both and two different stand locations. Um, if, if I have time with work and everything, being able to take off of work, but, um, yeah, I mean, another thing I like to do is say it's raining for a couple of days in a row or a big storm comes through, I'll go, go out the next morning. Um, when, when things start to dry up and clears up, cause you know, that, you know, the bucks, the bucks are going to be on their feet. They've been hunkered down for the last, last day or so. So that's another thing I like to do is watch for big rain events um but yeah sure are you that brings up a good a good point about taking off of uh 
taking off work. Like you work construction nine to five. Um, when you, how are you able to like, cause what if, what if a cold front doesn't land on a weekend? Like, what are you doing to like figure out how you can get time off for those right, those right uh, weather days? Um, really, I play it by ear as long as I'm working in town and we travel a lot. So if I'm working out of town, obviously I, I can't take advantage of that cold front day, but I try to plan in advance um, and be around uh, lacrosse during at least during the whole month of November um, because that's obviously some of the best whitetail hunting yeah. so I really try to keep my November um, I really try to stay near home for the month of November gotcha okay so then and then at that like staying around home are you able to just like call in like I during hunting season I my wife is like what's up weatherman because I'm always just looking at the weather every day Right. And always looking 10 days out. Is that what you're doing? Like just looking at the weather and then calling, then like just trying to reach out to your boss and be like, Hey, can I take this day off or what? Yeah, definitely. I mean, my boss is pretty cool. I've got some flexibility when it comes to hunting season. So, I mean, there's been times where I'll come in in the morning and decide halfway through the day, this is going to be an awesome night in the woods. I'm taking a half day at work, you know, I, it's basically, it's pretty lenient. Um, as long as I'm around the area. Okay. Gotcha. Nice. Yeah, that is, is that something like, did you have to work towards that or is that something that like just came out of the gate? It kind of comes with my job. I work a office job. So, um, my office is approximately 45 minutes from our, our farm. So it's not too long okay. of a drive. Yeah, no, that's nice. And I was just curious cause I've talked to some people that, uh, like, I know when I had to work, I, I used to be in a, I was a, an apprentice electrician. And when that would come up, like my PM would tell me when I would and when I wouldn't work and where I would work. So if that was the case, like if I looked 10 days out and I wanted to be a, um, be in the woods or, or nine days out or whatever, I would have to reach out to him and say, Hey man, like, can I take this day off? And, uh, and every now and then it was like, yeah, but we worked four tens. So I'd, I'd take, you know, a Thursday off or a Tuesday off or something like that. And he'd be like, but then I need you on Friday in the where, like in the warehouse or something like then you're working on Friday. So I would still get my hours in and I wouldn't have to take PTO and he'd give me the time. Otherwise, if I didn't want to take that Friday or whatever, then I'd have to, um, then I'd have to take PTO, which we didn't get, we got like two weeks of which, you know, you do one week in the summer with family or whatever, and then you pretty much got a week left. And after that, it's just peer negotiation strategy. <laughs> yeah, I, that's definitely one nice thing about my job is I can basically take off whenever I want, as long as I don't have anything too critical to finish up. I mean, I can basically take off whenever I want. And that is one nice thing about, um, we just started adding cell cams at our farm. Sure. So, I'd keep a good watch on those. And there's, there was a few times last year where I had one of my target bucks come on cam and basically made the decision to go hunt the next morning. Um, and that's kind of a cool, cool tool, tool to use in the bag. Those cell cams that's really helped us recently. Yeah. Yeah. That's a whole, that's a, that's a, that's a great topic. And I want to, 
I want to cover that, but um, before we before we totally leave the subject, Trevor, is that like in terms of reducing pressure, are you mainly looking at weather days as well? Is that your same style? Yeah, for the most part, I always go to North Dakota for early season, so okay, I can I'll take like part of the week off, and I work remote, so as long as I have Wi-Fi, I can do a half day in a motel or in my car. So sure. that's come to my advantage the last year i spent a lot of time working in iowa and north dakota but, <laughs> yeah, i definitely try to watch the weather but i also look at trail camera history just when certain bucks show up and i'll try to time it like oh is there a cold front coming in and say it's october 23rd this buck's been showing up to 24th the last two years i'll try to be in the woods that day and that's like somewhat same area Mm-hmm. that's one of the big things i've been trying to focus on lately and i try to keep all of it like documented in excel with like weather patterns and moon phase all of that kind of stuff <laughs> has that been has that been uh i just try uh, there's there's a lot of questions off that has that shown to be like effective like I, like if you put that down that uh that you're seeing a buck on these like specific days, times, wind directions, moon phase. And then you go and check your cameras the next week and you're like, okay, the buck should have been here on this day. And then you go and check if you're like, yep, he was. Yeah, I've seen it for the most part. I think it depends on the pressure. I've been doing that mostly in North Dakota with our cell cameras. Sure. Before the season, trying to figure out when this buck is going to daylight because they we can bait in North Dakota. Mm-hmm. So I've been they show up pretty much every night but then certain days of the month they daylight so it's trying to like pick the day that they're going to show up and it's normally within a day or two but it's just a matter of are you in the, the tree that day and the right tree gotcha so has that is it so i mean has that been working out like are you are you getting fairly successful at picking the days or I've been good at guessing the days. I just haven't had the chance to go up and actually kill the deer. Just <laughs> which is where the work schedule. It's a long drive up. Sure. There. Sure. So day. so you're like looking at it and you're like, okay, based on weather and everything, he should probably daylight on Tuesday, Wednesday, and you look at work and you're like, Yeah, I can't take those days off and then sell cam dings. Yeah. There he yeah, is. It has to be kind of timing on the weekend still at this point. Sure. But yeah, just <laughs> It'll work out sometime. I know that. <laughs> oh, it's got to be frustrating. Oh, yeah. man. This is where you need like, uh, you need like a, um, what I want to call it, like a whitetail sponsor. Be like, hey, man, if I just take off a week of work, would you pay me <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> for to do this? Um, yeah, that'd be, uh, that'd be awesome. Um, okay. No, that, that's really neat. Has there been anything that uh that is like clearly a trigger besides like a cold front what about moon what about wind direction um is that i mean i know you're looking at early season so that season opens up like the last saturday of august right or something like that yeah it's that or like the first friday of september yeah um Um, yeah keep going oh i was just gonna say um has has that like has there been anything that's really like eye-opening for you in terms of anything other than, than a cold front? It kind of depends on each stand situation. I have some stands in like a river bottom and then go up a couple hundred feet in elevation on the top of the fields. 
and the Bucks kind of act differently. And even though they're 400 yards apart, they never leave certain areas. Really? So, That's interesting. Yeah, it's super interesting. I run with like six or seven cameras out there on that property. And the Bucks are on they're each individual camera, sometimes two cameras, but never on all six. Really? And how big is the property? That property is 1,500 acres. Okay. So, I mean, that's a sizable chunk. So there's, so essentially the, uh, the deer have like territory boundaries on that property and they don't cross them. Yes. That's from what I've seen. Yeah. Even during the rut, they don't cross them. Interesting. So then I, do you have any ideas to how big those territories are? I'm guessing 300 ish acres. Okay. So then they would, it, yeah, ish. I, you could say 300 ish. And if you did 300 times six, that'd be 1800. So it'd be yeah. greater than that piece, but you have to imagine they're going on to the neighbors. Yeah. Definitely going on the neighbors a little bit. Okay. Got it. Yeah. That's, that's really interesting. So even though a camera's one and are, are all your cameras like three to 400 yards apart on that piece, do you have them like evenly spread out or are they kind of concentrated in an area? They're all kind of spread out. So like we try to have the bait set up. So we're trying not to pull deer from certain, like we're not picking and choosing between the baits, like have them spread out. Mm -hmm. So I'd say they're three to 600 yards apart. Okay. Got it. And you're getting different deer on all of them. That's, that's pretty cool. Do you like South wind hot days, which are like early season days? Do you see like they hit the bait, but it's not till, you know, 11 PM or, or midnight or something like that. We've and then had, we've had the best luck on hot days and daylight. Really? Yeah. Okay. See, that's totally counterintuitive. Yeah, I know. That's what I thought too. But no, we've definitely had more buck encounters on hot days and early season because we're near water sources too. So they come check out the bait pile, get a drink, and then go back to bed. And they're, I think, bedding very close to the baits. Mm. Okay, got it. So then, um, d like, are they coming? So like, let's just say it gets dark at 9 p.m are they rolling in at like seven 30 or seven o'clock? So to grab water and then go back to bed and then come back after it gets dark or what is like, I guess what, what is like timing on that? Any idea? I've seen them get water at about seven o'clock and then take two hours, get back to the bait and it's 150 yards away. And like you can see a long ways. And then I've also had, deer just they go eat at six o'clock every single day <laughs> kind of like my kids <laughs> yeah I, the deer definitely have different personalities out there like okay it's definitely noticeable between the bucks and there's definitely way more mature bucks on that farm than our minnesota farm and that could just be them having more of a chance to develop their individual personalities yeah no, yeah, it's, that's very like a, a unique point. I haven't heard about that at all um, previously, but I can't imagine like, you know, a lot of people want to say, like, if you sit here on a cold front, you're going to kill, you know, this buck or that buck or whatever, or you're going to kill a deer, you're going to kill a great deer. But like you're saying, these personality differences 
can make make that totally a lie if people are saying that you know like you could like maybe maybe that buck that you're after is like you said he he enters the food plot at you know 4 30 every day like regardless of what the weather is kind of doing or whatever you just got to get out there and be there by like you know 3 45 so you're there by 4 30 and all is good and you got to have a good entry and exit yep no it's that's interesting so just for uh for everybody listening something to take away not to like i i feel like the uh majority of deer like that cold front that colder weather high pressure systems but also like listen to the cams right listen to what your trail cameras are telling you and you obviously have all that data in an excel spreadsheet um to kind of figure out what's going to drive the best uh success for you so based on that with those cell cams and that are you like have you already started taking inventory of when they're daylighting or does that like start for you like in early august i start that early august okay and then i'll look back at last year's history too gotcha okay is do you see a noticeable change like after they come out of velvet there's normally like a week where their patterns change and then they kind of resort back to their fall pattern where they're more of the cold front deer or they will be more active during cold fronts but it's like the early season the first like probably done by september 14th is when they kind of switch to their fall pattern gotcha okay that's interesting and i am that's when our season always opens right it's like right in that time frame yeah yeah i know that's the hard part is like people wanted like summer scout and and do all these these summer activities like go look in bean fields and all that fun stuff and then they're like oh yeah they're using this pattern and wisconsin's an early opener at like mid-september a lot of states illinois michigan iowa don't even open till october 1st right yep. so then like that summer pattern doesn't really mean a whole lot if you're hunting august 1st like you need to know that pattern starting mid-september once they become hardhorn right yeah Oh, that's, that's, that's really interesting. Um, okay. So then in terms of reducing pressure, like out in North Dakota, Trevor and, and at the family farm and all that stuff, are you guys, um, is that, I mean, I, I guess for those sits, is that really like how you guys are approaching it as well? Just like flat out trying to really only pick those specific days to hunt and not hunting otherwise. I think we have stands that aren't very intrusive that if you want to just go sit, we can go sit and then we'll watch does and little bucks. But if like, we're trying to go in to kill the buck, like we have to pick and choose the right day. Gotcha. Okay. No, that's fair. But almost like scout sit stands to just yeah. hang out and see what you see type yep, of thing. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's fair. Um, okay, cool. Um, one of the other things that you had mentioned, Ian was uh, improving access. So uh, you said in, uh, improving access has really helped you guys to, um, you know, start seeing more deer and start, start getting more opportunities at these bigger bucks. What does, what does that entail? Like improving access just for, for you to getting to your tree stand, or is it like from where your four wheel trails go from where you set your stands? Like, how does all that fit together? Yeah, mostly stand location. Um, just trying to hunt the edges and not getting too deep into you know the deep cover and the sanctuary areas so yeah basically just 
picking the right stand location um, where you're not going to be too intrusive getting in and out. Um, and then besides that, um, hunting the right stand, um, whether it be, you know, hunting in the morning, um, kind of deeper in the into the timber close close to their bedding area, but not too close. And then in the afternoon, uh, maybe hunting more field edges um, compared to um, deeper timber bedding. So just hunting the right stand at the right time um, in the right location. Sure. Okay. So then like when you're picking your stands, like if you have one that's like, you know, on a field edge, 10 yards off a field edge or like 50 to 70 yards off a field edge, you're kind of either taking that five, that right on the field or like maybe five, 10 yards in um, versus going deeper just so that you have an easier entry and exit and it's not so intrusive. You're not leaving so much sense in there. Is that? Yeah, exactly. I mean, okay. if it's, if it's, um, if I'm doing a morning hunt, I'll definitely, you know, go a little deeper. Um, but definitely afternoon hunts, try to keep it closer to the field edges. Um, I definitely, I don't, I mean, I'm usually going out there two, three o'clock and they're already starting to venture out towards the fields, you know, and kind of that transition area. So that's definitely not a time where you want to be pushing deep in. Um, I mean, public land is maybe a little different, but for private land, we, we have that, um, you know, we were, we're able to pick and choose. So. Sure. Um, so then what are you doing? What are you doing? Like if you're sitting on a food plot, like how are you setting up your stands or your access routes? So that like, you know, nine o'clock rolls around or whatever, eight o'clock rolls around, sun goes down and uh, you got deer out in the plot. How are you getting out of that stand? Um, I mean, with, there's all, you're always going to spook some deer, um, but it, I guess the biggest thing is just picking the, um, the quickest, you know, access in and out and, and not going through like deep bedding or deep cover or sanctuary areas. Um, I mean, no matter what you're, you're going to spook deer when you're walking out of a field, just cause they're feeding in the field. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to spook a mature buck out of there for the next three weeks. You know, they, they don't necessarily know, you know, what you are. So, um, yeah, I mean, just picking quick, easy access, stands where you have a easy way out um spook the least amount of deer as possible sure okay got it is that pretty similar for your setup trevor um in nordak yeah out in north dakota it's a little bit different we don't have like no pressure out there on that farm it's me yeah. and my dad and one other guy that hunts the property and then like gun hunters but we don't hunt the gun season out there sure but normally we have like a pretty easy access route out and then sometimes we just have to wait 45 minutes to an hour if there's deer at the bait but it all kind of depends but normally we have like a nice little trail that has no branches in the way where you can sneak out we rake it down to the dirt so it's super quiet and just kind of back out of there real quietly sure okay 
Yeah, that makes sense. Have you never noticed like after you rake that out, the deer start using that pretty, pretty good? We had that happen the first year. Like we had a jump barbed wire fence. So then we put trees around the barbed wire fence where we cross to try to like push the deer away from not crossing it because we picked the lowest spot to cross the fence and the deer wanted to cross there too. So we kind of put zip ties on another part to try to move their access route to the bait piles and made us like have a thicker way like to get out but like clear it out so it's nice and quiet and then like walk it off yeah yeah oh that's it yeah that's interesting because i i know that's one of the things that i i've done i've made i've made trails to my stand like for my access routes and then the next time i go out there there's just hoof prints you know right in those trails (laughs) you're like crap just making making trails for these deer to walk right to me or or come essentially come from downwind is what you're doing right because you're always yep. walking into the wind on your way in yeah um okay gotcha how about you brucey um yeah i mean for a lot of the public land uh hunts that i've done um even going back to the last topic um as far as like when i go out there definitely agree with Diane, you know, go out when, uh, you know, when there's a cold front that's uh, about to push through or weather weather patterns, try to make it out there. Um, Otherwise, I'll try to switch it up. Um, I use a saddle for hunting. So even if you're hunting a specific location, um, I try to just move different trees dependent on which way the wind's blowing. Um, and that that seemed to help as far as just you know not spooking deer and then um having more success uh of course you know i guess even when you're walking in there a bunch you're still getting your ground scent down so um yeah it's kind of tough to say whether it's worth just waiting it out or if hunting as much as possible is kind of the way to go but um yeah as far as trying not to spook deer on the way out uh, yeah like when i've hunted in north dakota i just find spots that have an easy access um and yeah if, if there are deer out in front of you as soon as it gets dark just try to wait them out as long as possible try not to spook them but you know yeah it seems like more times than not you end up spooking one on your way out um but yeah, trying to have an easy, easy access is one of the best way it seems. Yeah. Yeah. No. And I, um, I had, uh, a Dylan lens from, uh, whitetail habitat solutions come out to our, our property, uh, this spring. And essentially that was one of the biggest, the biggest pieces that, that we talked about was like, this is a good spot okay, cool. Like there's a lot of this, like there's a lot of trails that converge right here. It's a great, you know, pinch point, yada, 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 but how are you going to get in and out of it? And where's your wind going to blow? And there were multiple spots that we looked at that were like, okay, this is a good spot, but how are you going to hunt it? And it just wasn't feasible. I mean, it is feasible to hunt maybe one time. And if, and there's, there's like a 50, 50 chance that the buck's going to take a, a trail that's downwind of you. And he's like, if you want to take that chance, like you can, but if you're doing that in like November 3rd and he smells you and he, and you know, and he's out of here, like you probably ain't going to get another crack at him until late season. Like he's probably gone. 
you know, so he's like, if you want to, like, if you want to do that, you, you certainly can. Um, but we don't advise you do that. Like kind of like the same thing you said, Ian, which is hunt those edges, um, hunt those easier spots to get in and out of. And I know that when he built the, uh, the plan for us, there were one, two, three, yeah, three tree stands that were, um, further than like 50 yards from our property line, like pretty much everything that he built was around the edges, you know, walk the fence lines and cut in 50 yards. Like that's essentially how he did that. Um, and even on, on certain portions of it, it's like, Hey, can you access through the neighbors? Here's three tree stands that would set up if you can access through the neighbors. Otherwise, if you can't access through the neighbors, just write them off because you're not going to walk through your entire property to get there. So uh, he's like, that's just a bad idea. So I thought that that improving access was a huge, uh, a huge piece for, for me. I thought I already had pretty decent access. He showed me a few, a few tricks for other pieces. Um, um, and one of the other things he said, which was interesting is, is I've always thought you should never like you always want to set up your, your stand or wherever you're going to sit. If you're using a saddle or a mobile setup, like you never want to cross the deer trail that you intend to shoot the deer on. Right. That's always been like a thought that's in my head. Um, but he, he said, actually, like, it's not nearly as big of a deal as you think, like don't stand on the trail. Don't like stand there and pick your nose, itch your butt, sit down, like, you know, rub your ass in the dirt type of thing. Don't do that. You know, just kind of hop over the trail and move past it. Um, and then you can, you can hunt trails that you go past. He's like, just know, like you have to have you, the wind right and know where that trail is. So you can, you know, not walk on it and don't use it at all for entry or exit type of thing, like cross it. And that's fine. So that was, that was an interesting, um, interesting piece that, that he told me. Uh, moving on to the, the other kind of habitat improvements you, you had mentioned, Diane, um, which would be like, uh, you got a bunch of food plots. I know you guys just posted some pictures of some water holes. Um, you got hinge cuts, timber management, CRP, things like that. Um, for, for the conversation, I I'm curious to, to hear about food plots and, and Trevor baiting is not a food plot. So we're not going to go there. We're just going to call it <laughs> we, one of my, one of my, one of my good friends always calls uh food plots. He goes, Oh, it's just a bait plot, man. It's just bait, but over spread over an acre versus in a pile. <laughs> um, but just curious as to like um, food plots are, are very, can be very, uh, well, we can go in depth on, on food plots in general. So just at a high level, um, you know, what type of food plots are you planting? And, and it sounds like you're hunting the fringes of them and when you're hunting them and what your plans are for them. And then I also want to talk a little bit more about the water holes. Cause that was something that, that Dylan again, brought up to me. Um, even though we have water on the property, we have a, a Creek that's flowing year round. Uh, he's like, you still want to put water holes on the property, which I was baffled by. I had never thought about that. So yeah, let's jump into uh, plots and water holes. Yeah, I'd say, um, first off, I never like to set up my stand right over a food plot. Um, I think that's, I mean, just, you're just asking the spook deer. So I, what I like to do is 
you know, like you said, hunt, hunt the fringes, hunt the edges and focus more on the transition areas, um, you know, where those bucks are moving from their, their bedding um, to the food source at night um, and try to catch them in the transition area. So that's kind of how we like to use our food plots um, and how we, you know, base our stand locations off of. Um, but we've got a mix of um, clover, brassicas, turnips, uh, rape, kale, you name it. Um, just kind of all around mix. Um, you know, we have at least, I want to say two or three uh, clover food plots that we are just dedicated to clover. That's all they've ever been. And I want to say three annual plots that we kind of alternate between um, different different annual um, mixes. So yeah, I guess uh, a new, another thing that we just started to do is um, put in like what I like to call kill plots and basically in the middle of timber, um, those out in a clearing and um, plant plant food plant a food plot in, in the middle of the timber just because the deer definitely feel a lot more protected um, surrounded by timber and um, that's proved to be pretty successful recently so I think I'm going to try to make make maybe a few more of those in the future long term but gotcha yeah, I guess how big how big are those kill plots then oh I mean only only quarter of an acre quarter of an acre not not very big at all I mean you don't don't need anything too crazy okay Gotcha. No, that's interesting. And then is there a specific, do you, do you have a different type of, uh, of food there than you do other places or is it the same as everything else or? Um, it's mostly the same this year. I'm trying a mix called bow stand from whitetail Institute. Um, and it's supposed to be, it's designed for this type of food plot, kind of a shaded, um, sunny mix area um, in the middle of the woods. So I'm going to try that out this year, see how, see how it works. Um, but previously, yeah, we just planted brassicas and the same rye, stuff like that. Same stuff. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Trevor, are you doing any, any plots at your place? Yeah. In Minnesota, we have an acre and a half of soybeans and an acre and a half of corn. And then we have about a half acre of clover, brassicas, and then we do cereal rye at like end of August, middle of August. Yep. And we kind of just overseed everything with that. Gotcha. Before rain. Okay. Gotcha. And then, Al, I mean, is the soy and corn, is that because somebody actually farms it or do you guys just want those as staples or? It holds the deer late season. Okay. Normally, we didn't have enough browse on the property, and the deer would leave after the rut. And we wanted to have like a late season food source, and it's helping hold the deer a lot more if they don't eat it all before the season's done. <laughs> sure. Yeah, that makes sense. Are they like? Is it? Is that three? The acre and a half soy, acre and a half corn. Is that like side by side, or yeah, is that mixed? Yeah. Oh. It's yeah, we have like, it's down like a set of power lines and we have like corn in the middle this year and surrounded by beans on the outsides. 
And then we have flip flop on each year. And then we'll have next year we'll have beans in the middle, corn on the outside. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah, it's that's an interesting way to go. And that's what you were saying earlier to the point of like it used to be a pass through property. Now you're really trying to hold deer. And that's one of the biggest pieces is reducing pressure and then having that food there for them year round. Yep. Um okay. No, that that's that's pretty cool. What about um what about Ian that you had mentioned? Um like well first of all do you guys ever brucey i hate to pass over you but it sounds like you're not doing any plots anymore right yeah nope that's fine if you pass over me no no plots yep okay yeah no 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 worries man um so what about i and what about like water holes do you have water on the property or no, there is no water on your property and you're doing specific water holes because you need it or how about that so we have a natural stream that runs through most of our property, um, as well as a decently large pond, um, kind of on the opposite side of the farm from the stream. So really there's water that borders the whole property. Um, but what I've been starting to do, um, actually just starting last year is installing um, the water trough uh, water holes, um, kind of like Jester just does on his YouTube videos and everything, mm -hmm. um, up on our ridges, um, just because that's pretty far away from the stream. The stream's down in the in the valley um, near all the ag fields. So um, up on those ridges, you know, the, those bucks are traveling those ridges, um, going from one spot to the next, and um, it's already a natural. Um, travel corridor and just feel like adding those water holes um at my stand locations is gonna make that spot even better so yeah that's that's basically adjusted it just adding adding those water troughs in um on ridge tops near near stands gotcha okay and, and is that something brand new like yeah this is your first year putting it in yeah, I, I put one in last year, but I actually I actually installed it incorrectly. <laughs> I didn't I, I did not get it flush with the ground and it wasn't really it didn't work out. They didn't hit it very much. And this year I actually brought the dozer up and um, dug down, dug down deep and got it flush with the ground. And um, I think I mean, so far it's been working. I've only had it installed for a week or two now, but the deer have been hitting it um pretty regularly so far so i think hopefully this one is is gonna end up a little better <laughs> <laughs> okay no and that's an important point because i mean you'd think like whatever like you know uh, a few inches doesn't matter but apparently it does oh yeah they i don't know if it's they see that rubber water trough and they don't know what it is and don't want to drink out of it but um yeah definitely making that that trough flush is important i've learned <laughs> <laughs> got it no good good point good point so yeah it'll be interesting to I, i'm curious like I, i'm excited to follow your page and see just throw out some trail camera pictures and whatnot of that being successful or or whatever so that we can you know just seeing what comes to that thing versus you know last year it didn't because that's like i said I, again um that's something that i have to put in this year and I have a whole bunch of food plot work to do yet, but then like 
early August, mid August, I plan on dropping those um, water holes in so that hopefully they can find them in the next month to, uh, to start poking around um, during season. Uh, Trevor, is that, are, are you doing any water holes at all either? I'm not doing any water holes right now. We had the U.S. Department of Wildlife come out this spring to look at getting our ponds dug out and clearing out old drain tile to try to restore it back to the way it used to be. To just like raise water level a little bit across the whole property. But we haven't done anything with actual like small like little water holes. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. No, it's I just that's all that's a topic that I've kind of looked at a little bit more since Dylan recommended it. Um and uh I'm just a little more curious about it because as Dylan as Dylan said uh, to me, it was not that, not that it isn't. Um, well, the best way to explain it is through a scenario. So you got a, a, a ridge side, right? Um, and you got a creek down in the bottom, and you got nothing, nothing up top, but the creeks down below. And a lot of these bucks are cruising at you know mid to upper level on that ridge. And if let's just you know you got you have one ridge line that's two hundred yards long. And the, the buck enters your property on one end and you're sitting, you know, a hundred yards away from where that end is or something like that. Or maybe you're on the a total opposite end on your fence line and he comes in. Now the odds of him in that time frame potentially dropping down to the Creek, changing his route, changing his trail, and then trying something else or going across to the other side of the Valley. Cause he already dropped down to the Creek or maybe he drops down to the Creek and then he follows the Creek throughout through your property, or maybe he takes a different trail. I'm um, still on that same Ridge, but now he's, you know, 50 yards lower than he was before. Um, there's all these different scenarios that can play out just if he needs to go get water versus if he's on that Ridge side and he knows there's a water hole 150 yards in front of him on that trail that he's on, he doesn't have to drop down and then come back up or drop down and rechange like where he's going he knows that that's the path he wants to take and it's right there. Like potentially that's the idea. And, and so what it, it doesn't necessarily like give them more water because they can always drop down and go get it themselves anyway, but it keeps them a little bit more consistent with staying on that trail. That's the, that's the, the idea is that the deer are efficient. And if they know water's on the same trail and they don't have to drop down and come back up or drop down and change the route, then they don't have to then they become more consistent and then you can predict their movements a little bit better and they use specific trails more often rather than a little bit more sporadic movement. So that's, that's the idea that I was explained. Is that like, Ian, are you putting those water holes in just because you wanted to, or because you want to test them out or, or was there any other reason besides that? I mostly to improve my existing stand locations. Um, I mean, the deer definitely have enough water if they want to go get water. Like you were saying, I mean, it's, it's just, a, another way to improve, a improve a stand location and attract, attract the deer to that location. But one thing you gotta be careful with, I think is you don't want to just go and throw water holes all over the place around your property. Cause then you're kind of attracting deer away from your stand locations. So I think it's important to place those water holes um, at your 
are your, your strategic stand locations also. Yeah, that that's sense. a great, that is a very good point. And that is one thing, again, Dylan tied every water hole to a mock scrape and a tree stand. Yeah. Right. Don't put a water hole where you can't hunt it. I love mock scrapes. They're a great way to get a good intel on what bucks you have on your property. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I picked that up two years ago and I've had, I've had some big failures, some mock scrapes that did not get touched at all. Yeah. Um, and I've had, uh, I've had some great successes too. The very first one I ever put up was just like dynamite and it got smashed, you know, throughout the whole season. Um, but, uh, and it's still like, I still have a camera on it and it gets used all summer. It's pretty much open year round. Like it's almost like I, I accidentally created a community scrape. Um, but, uh, but yeah, the, the big issue, the problems that I had when, when Dylan came out there, he's like, yeah, the, some of the sticks were too, the vines were too thick. So you want them like maybe an inch thick or less, you know, and I, that, that makes sense. Like you never see, uh, you always see these like regular scrapes on like twigs, right? I mean, just like twigs hanging off branches and stuff. Like they love that really small stuff. And I'm, I got like a two inch diameter freaking vine yeah. hanging on one of these, you yeah, know, they probably give them a concussion if it hits them. In the head. Yeah. Um, so that was a, that was a terrible idea on my end. But then the other one was the height, you know, you want to have it at least down to your hip, if not lower. Um, you know, so that pretty much anything can hit it. And there's not a whole lot of uh, a struggle there. Is that, I mean, do you guys, do you guys have mock scrapes kind of all over the property then? Yeah, I've had similar experiences. I've had some failures and some really great successes where it's basically created a community scrape out of, out of nothing. So yeah, I mean, I don't, I try to keep them um, at my stand locations, but I've also tried a couple other locations just to see to see how they work and if they take off or not but yeah okay um what about you trevor do you guys do any of that yeah we do a lot of mock scrapes i think more than what we should and they aren't always over stand location sometimes we have in a camera location but okay. we normally have a lot of deer hit the scrapes we haven't had any scrapes they like open year round like a community scrape but i think a lot of that's due to the deer not normally staying on our property and i haven't been running the cameras out in like the spring and summer very much recently to see sure. if the bucks are still hitting the scrapes all the time it's more just being on food plots until early october and then i'll start putting cameras on scrapes sure no, and that, and that makes sense. And, and by when I, when I'm looking at that, like I'm doing work, like I was down there uh, two weekends ago, you know, doing some work on the property and I will ended up walking by one of those, that one scrape that, that I put together right away and it was open and there were fresh tracks in it and fresh scrape marks in it. So that's the only reason, like, I don't have cameras on it right now, but that's how I know that it was hit recently. Um, Cause we had a rain and, and he definitely a, a buck or, or your dough or whatever came in, scraped it up when it was, when it was freshly wet. Um, so yeah, it was just a interesting, uh, observation, I guess. Yeah. I don't, I, I do have, I am testing out. Have you guys ever ran the, the cutty back cutty link system? That's what we have on our farm actually. Yep. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. So I bought, 
I bought that. We don't have service in the bottoms, right? I yeah. mean, we get service in the bottom. So you need something. And that Cuddy Back Cuddy Link system does it. Um, I haven't talked much about it yet because I haven't, uh, like I haven't gone, I don't, I don't know enough about it, but I did put it out and I bought the extra battery pack. That's like the biggest uh, issue that they have is the battery life. But yeah. I did, I can say I bought the battery pack and I put that, I put three cameras out in November um, of last year. One of them died like right away. I don't know what the deal is with that. It's not dead. It still has full battery, but it doesn't take any pictures. I don't know what's going on there. Or maybe it's taking a ton. It's just not connecting. I, I don't know what the problem is. Um, but the uh, um, that one, besides that, the other two that have been taking pictures are still taking pictures. And it's been eight months or no. Yeah, eight, eight months um, since they have been taking pictures. And I get anywhere from two to two to ten pictures a night, you know. So, I mean, they've been working and they've been working for eight months for me, which is pretty cool. How, how's that been for, for you guys? Yeah, we've, um, I think we've got 14 total now and it's great for our farm because most of the farm does not have service. There's a few select ridges that have a couple bars and that's just enough, um, you know, to put the cell cam up and basically branch out with all the remote cams from there. And um, I, I don't have any of those battery packs. I actually run a solar camera, or sorry, a solar panel on every camera. Um, and for me, that's, that's worked out pretty good. Um, it's basically lasted the whole season besides a couple cameras here and there that maybe didn't, wasn't, weren't getting enough sunlight. Um, but yeah, I, I love it. You know, you only pay for one one cell plan compared to 14 different cell plans. Um, and it works good for us because we don't have service everywhere. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's yeah. the worst thing about it is the, the, the battery life. They do take a lot of, a lot of juice, but um, you can overcome it with the, with the solar panels and the battery packs. Yeah. Yeah. I thought the, I thought the setup was a little wonky. Cause you got to set up like the main, the home cam or whatever. Yeah. Then you got to set up the remotes. Then you got to revisit the home to make sure that all the remotes are set up properly and they're all connected and everything. Um, but once it's set up, then it's, you know, I like, it's one of those things where when I go back and reset it, you know, here, and I got to go re got to pull the batteries all out and reset them for, for this next season upcoming. Um, once I do that, I'm going to have to like relearn how to set them all up and it's going to take, be another process. But once they're set up, I mean, they're working for six to eight months and I just got to relearn that process six to eight months. Um, so, you know, I, obviously I bought them. I intend on continuing to use them. Um, and, uh, and yeah, I'll, I'll see how they go, but I'll probably talk about those um, specifically. I want to talk to, I know somebody at Cuddy Link or Cuddy Back. So I'd like to talk to them and have them on the podcast just to hear the intricate workings of all that. Yeah, it's definitely tricky when you have a lot of ridges too, like we have on our farm. Mm -hmm. um, the ridges definitely limit the, the range compared to flatlands like Iowa, North Dakota, yeah, whatever else. But um, I basically ridge hop with them um, and that kind of extends, extends the range a little, little bit longer. Um, okay. But uh, 
yeah, you gotta, you gotta be strategic about it. <laughs> right. Or you just got to buy more cameras to link yeah, them all. That, that too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, all right. Well, yeah. Is there anything, I know you guys have some, have, have some Western plans. We're rolling on probably like an hour and 15 hour, 20 minutes here. Um, I know you guys have some Western plans. Is there anything else that you guys want to talk about quick um, regarding whitetails and, and any summer work that you guys are doing that might be a little bit different or something we haven't covered yet? Um, I think maybe, uh, you know, Brucey mentioned saddle hunting earlier. That's something that we just got into like the last couple of years and it's pretty cool. Um, I've, I've enjoyed it a lot and, I've even started to use it um, on our our private farm. So um, I don't know, maybe we could touch on that a little bit. That's pretty cool, pretty cool strategy. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So sat, yep. And I, I try not to beat the saddle hunting drum. I've had a saddle for I think four or five years now. Um, yeah, and I, I mean, I think it's a great way to hunt pretty much regardless of when I go out, I almost always have that with me because I use it as a safety harness. Even if I'm sitting in a different, in a tree stand, like that's my harness. Um, yeah. so pretty much always just have it with me. It's always in my pack, but, um, yeah, for, you know, do you guys want to explain it then? You know, yeah, I'll, I'll let you guys explain it. Cause my listeners hear me talk about it enough. Take it away, Bruce. You're the one that got us into it. <laughs> sure. Um, yeah, like I said, we're, you know, new to it, but yeah, it's definitely a very cool way to hunt. Um, very easy to move around and try different areas, lightweight, so you can back further into the woods, a lot of big, heavy, uh, stand with you. And then you sit up on a tree kind of unique to where you're behind the tree I come Brucey we're losing you with that phenomenal oh, Ely reception <laughs> can you hear me now <laughs> yeah yeah so you were saying um, can you hear me now yep yep uh, okay yeah, I apologize. Um, yeah, it's got to be my phone signal. But uh, yeah, I just want to touch on, um, you know, it's it's unique to where you're not out in the wide open like you are in a tree stand. Um, you're covered, you know, you're behind the tree to where you can, you know, move your hands around or get your bow ready if a deer's coming in. Um, and uh, without the deer seeing that movement, you know tuck, tuck behind the tree trunk um so yeah i i really enjoyed it uh for public land it's it's great just for being able to move around um and even you know on private land like trevor and i's farm uh you know you can try out different different areas easily and um yeah very cool and glad i got into it so um i don't know what these two I think they, they've enjoyed it as well. Yeah, I mean, um, I just got into it the last couple of years. I started with a, a mobile, you know, lone wolf, and Bruce, he showed me the saddle. And um, I, I started a, 
use it even more on, on our farm. Uh, I think like a perfect scenario was uh, we were, we were uh, trying to harvest some does at the end of December there. And we were trying all our, all our stands and nothing seemed to work. And we knew where, where they were going to be. So we uh, ended up just setting up with our saddles and we all filled our tags within the first couple hours. It's pretty cool. You can just go pick a random spot in the woods and, you know, be successful like that. So um, besides that, I mean, it's just an awesome tool to have on public land because I've had it multiple times where I walk into a new new spot in Minnesota or wherever else and you're basically just looking for looking for fresh sign and rubs and you know you just find a spot and set up and hope for the best and it's pretty cool to be able to do that yeah yeah are you guys running like climbing sticks then too yeah yep yep so just a few climbing sticks and then you guys have a platform yes yeah he's got the whole shebang that's, okay that's a necessity <laughs> <laughs> i tried it without yeah. the platform the first first time and it's not comfortable <laughs> see it i'd i would I, I would argue with you on that one because i uh i don't have a platform um so i have i have four i have four sticks and i will stand on that top stick <laughs> Dang, that's impressive <laughs> i think it's i think it's very dependent on your boots because when i run it when i ran it with my knee highs one time it sucked when i ran it with like my western boots with a really hard sole yeah. Not, not nearly a problem. So I, I think I that's a huge, a huge player to it. Cause I have, I've been a holdout. Cause I was like, why am I going to buy this platform? It's as big as the top stick. Like, what am I doing here? But now I do have a, uh, I got a lone wolf custom gear stand now. So I literally will pack that. I had an out on a limb last year and this year I'm, I got the lone wolf custom gear. So I will literally just pack that out on a limb. It's so small. Uh, it's like yeah. six pounds or something. And I will just run that with the, with the, with the uh, saddle. Every time I go in the woods, I just take them both. Um, it's really not that big of an issue. And if I don't need the stand, then I'll leave it at the base of the tree. If I do need the stand, if like the tree sets up really well for a stand, then I'll take the stand. Um, and if the tree sets up well for both, then I'll hang the stand. And, and if I'm doing an all day sit, like I'll sit in the saddle for, you know, two, three hours and use the platform of the stand as my base and then sit down for a couple hours and rotate and just kind of be there <laughs> and be comfortable yep. with both. Um, so yeah, Trevor, same, same thing for you, you getting into it or no. I haven't pulled the trigger yet on a saddle yet, but it's on my to-do list eventually. <laughs> probably won't be this season and probably next year yeah well it's it's not it's not for all of us trevor yeah <laughs> <laughs> nah i'm just i'm just playing it's uh yeah i think people some people get um get worked up about it like you got a saddle hunt you got a saddle on i i think everything's a tool um a tool for your tool chest and and if it works for you if you don't need it why spend the money um but if you do need it and you're looking for, you know, moving around on public and being highly mobile. And it's just an easier setup overall than a stand in general. Um, and, and you get a few more um, shot angles out of it and it's lighter weight. It's just easier to maneuver, things like that. You know, um, there's a lot of, there's a lot of pros to it. Um, and there's a couple, the couple cons would be like, 
you know, I do, I would say that, um, it can be uncomfortable if you don't have your settings right for, you know, your tether and all that, um, and, and your waist, like your waistband and all that jazz. Um, but also the other thing is, is one of the things people always say is that you can shoot 360 degrees around the tree and you can move. And that is, that is true. But the thing they don't tell you is you really need to see that deer before it sees you. Because like majority of the time, if you're hunting tight quarter spots, like, you know, and you see him and he's at 40 yards, like you're not whipping around that whole tree for him to not see you, you know, like you, you're still kind of stuck in that spot. And especially if you like, don't, if your platform isn't secured, like a hundred percent perfect and you start to try to push, put a lean on it or something like that, like it could slip out or you feel like it could slip out or something like that. Like there's there are some, some, uh, cons to that end, but you just gotta be, you gotta be, uh, conscious about your setup and what you can and can't do, I guess is the, the best way I could explain it. Do you guys kind of agree with that? Or do you have any other, any other pros or cons that, I, that we didn't talk about? I agree with, uh, what you said there. Definitely. Um, one thing that is worth doing if, uh, if you're, you know, new to saddle hunting is, just setting it up in your backyard, um, bring your bow up there and just practicing some of those tough shots where you are kind of at an awkward angle. Um, and then just, you know, practice shooting at a target too from up there, just get the feel for it. So then if you do get in that awkward situation with your, uh, you kind of have some experience beforehand. To, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and you you definitely want to practice with your gear before you head out to the woods. I made that mistake when I bought everything. I thought I could just figure it out on the fly, and I bet it took me 45 minutes to <laughs> set everything up um, the first time in in the dark. Where it, now it takes me, you know, 10, 15 minutes. So yeah. definitely important to practice before you get out in the woods. Yeah, you really quickly, right. especially in the dark, you you very quickly figure out all the shit you didn't think about. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, all right. Well, hey, it's been awesome having you guys on. Um, maybe we can whip out another podcast here. We're running, running tight on time. I got to head out here. But um, it's been awesome having you guys on. Maybe we can run another podcast on your Western hunts um maybe in, in august or something like that before you guys take off but uh thank That's you awesome. thank you again so much for for taking the time all three of you um i know this was hard to coordinate and everything make sure it all worked and we had some time changes that occurred uh late <laughs> late in the schedule but um but yeah so for why don't i and why don't you why don't you take it away if people want to find uh project whitetail how would they go about doing it Yep. Um, we got Instagram and Facebook right now. Um, Project Whitetail Official is our is our username. Um, so um, hopefully YouTube coming in the future. But uh, for now, we're just we're just starting with Instagram and Facebook. Um, and then we also have a website, which is um, at the link in our in our bio on our Instagram page, as well as our Facebook page. So go check that out if you're interested in any of the apparel there's some pretty cool pretty cool uh designs um so uh yeah that's where you can find us all right 
Awesome. Yeah. And I'll put, I'll put the link to your website and, um, and the name for, uh, official whitetail project, project whitetail official, um, in the, in the description for the, for the podcast here. So if you guys want to find that, that'll all be there. Um, last thing would be, um, uh, just one more time. Thank you guys for Thank you everybody for listening. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe. Um, thank you again, you guys for, for all making the time. And, uh, if you are in the market for, for some arrows, check our, check out vector custom shop. Uh, if you're looking for some lifestyle clothes, you know, sweatshirts, hoodies, jeans, all that fun stuff. Um, check out project whitetail shop, but also check out Venado. And then last but not least, check out Onyx maps. If you guys are looking for, you know, public private land boundaries, GPS, all that fun stuff. So really appreciate you guys supporting them because they support me. All right. Thank you everybody for listening. Catch you next time.